That was uh, Larry Dossi, uh, who's been at this research on uh, the greater or collective consciousness for, for many years. He's a real pioneer in this field. And Phil, one of the things you brought up I thought was interesting, and I'm sure Deepak Chopra and others have gone through this, uh, they probably uh, stir up a lot of anger amongst the colleagues in traditional medicine when, uh, you know, MDs go and do research and uh, promote uh, areas of, of medicine, of healing, that aren't uh, traditionally found in, in uh, modern medicine in the West anyway. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm sure uh, people like that uh, are pariahs to many people. They just sort of probably seem to be, uh, have gone off the deep end or become religious fanatics or just uh, engaging in pseudoscience and wishful thinking and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I would guess that even um, when uh, Deepak was a spokesperson for Ayurvedic medicine, mm-hmm. you know, which is a, you know, a traditional form of medicine on a par with, you know, Chinese medicine and acupuncture, I'm sure even that was considered off the reservation and uh, crazy. Um, but things change. And, and when you get when you get down to questions of the nature of consciousness and does consciousness exist independent of brain activity and healing at a distance, then you're getting really into the realm. Uh, it's, you know, it's one thing to be advocating herbs or acupuncture, you know, things right. that can be easily tested, but this is, this is a very different thing. And then you get opposition, not just from physicians, but from other scientists you know, like neuroscientists and even physicists and people like that. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I, people also have to come to a point in their lives where maybe there's something that's real, something that is beneficial to their life, and yet there is no empirical evidence to support that, or maybe studies haven't been figured out or the instrumentation doesn't exist uh, uh, to, to uh, endorse, to, uh, uh, you know, prove what their experience is. But ultimately, what their experience is, uh, is uh, not uh, uh, dependent upon empirical evidence. So it's, a, it's an interesting area. And, and you know, uh, like you, I have participated in group meditations with uh, sometimes thousands of people uh, to affect uh, all areas of uh, life's quality worldwide. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, I've heard people say there, there were studies that proved it did. And, I've heard other people debunk those yeah. studies, and I'm not sure. I can say that the experience of meditating, uh, and this was TM, with large groups of people, uh, the experience is different, and sometimes I could say more powerful, uh, and it seemed that there was a collective consciousness that I was plugged into, but that was all very uh, intuitive, subjective experience. Uh, right. And I'd, I'd like to see more research done and and uh, yeah. encourage people to have that experience. And, and I'm sure, you know, every study or every uh, group of studies that come out that push the envelope uh, in any field. I mean, there's, uh, you know, I remember reading uh, Thomas Kuhn's book about the nature of scientific re- revolutions. In, in every field of science, there's always new data uh, that changed the that sort of challenged the the paradigm, 
and there's always resistance to it. There's always people who dismiss it, always people who uh, even accuse the researchers of bias or bad science. And but as the evidence mounts, you know, it becomes more and more convincing, and the the data always win out in the end, and people you know, mm-hmm. have to uh, go with the evidence if they're true scientists. And I think that's what Larry was saying to us, that, you know, it's very different now than it was 30 years ago when he was first uh, writing about the, the influence of, of prayer and, and uh, you know, consciousness on healing. Um, there's much more willingness to listen. The data has uh, grown. And so, you know, I guess these things really just take time. Yeah, they take time. You know, I, I, I was speaking to a friend uh, who has been involved in organic farming and, or, you know, organic products uh, for many, many years. And, and there's still resistance, but compared to how it was, uh, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it's night sure. and day. And, and, and a lot of times it's, it's a groundswell of support amongst people. Enough people say, hey, look, this is good. We do want to get involved. We, then, then I, I think that uh, you know it comes about from 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 both the experts endorsing it through empirical evidence, you know, studies and whatnot, but also from just people having that experience. You know, so many people yeah. have had an experience of feeling that they've uh, had some connection with somebody at a distance or whatever, some deep mm-hmm. intuitive insight. So, no amount of science can can, can disprove that for them. And, right. and I do think, and what I would hope to see is more and more research done and the research done uh, on a high level by people that don't have a uh, an agenda uh, but just are really there to see what's happening and what's not happening and I'm right. confident that uh, there'll be uh, proof of many of these things that seem out of the realm of science at this point yeah that but though you raise interesting questions here one is 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 everything that we now consider metaphysical or spiritual, subject to the kind of empirical um, experimentation that uh, science upholds as as its standard. Maybe we'll find mm-hmm. that there are certain things that are not amenable to the scientific method as we know it, or maybe right. the scientific method has to start including uh, you know, the subjective side of things or individual consciousness or something. Maybe the scientific method itself has to expand. Or maybe some things will always be beyond the reach of science. And as you say, there will, always, there will be people, and there are now, who don't require scientific proof of certain things. It just seems self-evident. Or the, the evidence of history and, and uh, you know, spiritual... Uh, um, expertise, so to speak, uh, is enough. And there are other people for whom that's not enough, and they require scientific evidence. And among those people, there'll be people who will resist it every step of the way, no matter how much proof there is. And other people will yield to the the evidence. I mean, what always bothers me is people who claim to be rational and value science uh, behaving in a way that's really not terribly scientific when you reject something and that seem that has plausibility or even can, can be considered a good hypothesis worth investigating when you reject it because it doesn't fit your your 
theories or your model of how the world works, then you're not being very scientific. Right, right. So, right. And it, 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 what's also interesting, and he touched upon it today, he several times uh, quoted physicists. And, and some of the people doing work in theoretical physics are coming to areas uh, of, of the physical universe that are difficult to describe. And it seems like many of those, uh, the, those descriptions are not unlike the descriptions of, you know, uh, ancient seers uh, right. of the past and yogis and gurus of the past that talked right. about this, this, uh, this field uh, uh, of consciousness, uh, you, right. you, you know, and how that all will or does relate to physics talking about a grand uh, unification theory of uni a grand unification theory, and, and uh, so and I think a lot of these great scientists have intuited the connection between the two. I can't think of his name, but I met the gentleman that wrote the book The Tao of Physics years ago. Fritjof Capra. Yeah, he was at a conference I was at. Brian yeah. Josephson, who was a Nobel laureate in physics years right. ago, was there, and a number of these people, you know, were talking about the relationship of. Uh, uh, of consciousness to quantum physics. So, you know, these guys were thinking in that direction. And and this is not new. I mean, Fritz Kapper wrote that book 30, 30, 40 years ago, right. back in the 70s. And, you know, I, I have a chapter on, on science in American Veda, and, it, you know, this link, the, the insights of uh, physicists uh, and psychologists uh, who are uh, well-grounded in the scientific method, uh, being open to the ideas that we think of as, you know, Vedic or, you know, from Buddhism and, and Hinduism, uh, they, this goes back a long way. I mean, Nikola Tesla was a friend of Swami Vivekananda, and if you look at his writings, he's talking about prana and akasha. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Schrodinger was, you know, a century ago, and and he was talking about Vedanta, and so was Heisenberg in the midst. So this goes back a long way. And now, as people become more and more uh, familiar with the language of quantum physics and so forth, it's just more and more people are seeing these connections that people like Capra uh, wrote about a long time ago. Well, it's a it's a very interesting area, and and I think that. Uh... Uh, another area of science, uh, along with quantum physics, that's going very deep into reality is some of these neuroscientists and some of the work being done in neuroscience and the brain. And, and what he yes. said today was fascinating, that the, the brain isn't the producer of consciousness, but rather the filter through which consciousness comes. And thinking right. of consciousness actually as stuff, or maybe the most uh, fundamental stuff of the universe. I do think, even though to me right now, I can't, it's inconceivable to me, how these things could be measured and objectified, right? You know, that's but I would the, think that's it's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. but but um, again, you know, that whole idea of subjective and objective means of gaining knowledge, and one not being necessarily uh, m more real than the other. Or, so. Yeah, and the and the neuroscience on meditation and mindfulness right. practice and all that, um, in a certain way, uh, can work against this because it you know it's all focused on phenomena in the brain and it's very easy for people to just conclude that uh, these practices are just you know different ways of the brain uh, doing stuff and it doesn't necessarily prove there's anything that consciousness 
uh, is, exists independent of the right. brain. Right. In some way, you could look at it as reinforcing that notion. So I don't know how you study that. I'll leave that to scientists who are open to the idea to design experiments, but um, I'm sure that's a major challenge. It's easy to come up with a theory, but getting empirical evidence is another thing. I mean, one thing in Larry's book, uh, in uh, One Mind, you know, I was, I was looking at it, and in there, in actually in the press release, we didn't get into that, he says there are six areas in consciousness research in which studies have been replicated in labs around the world, each area giving odds against chance of around a billion to one. And he lists you know, uh, different categories of research. Um, and so people listening can easily look on his, mm-hmm. uh, in his book or probably on online and, and see, you know, some of those studies. Right. Well, I also wanted to say that, you know, for years when I used to teach TM, when I teach meditation courses, you know, people would start because they heard of research that was done on how the body benefited from it or whatever. But once you start a, a practice of meditation, you continue to do it not based upon some research that was done, but by, but in terms of your own personal experience. Uh, uh, you know, it makes me feel good. I feel relaxed, yeah. and I have these experiences. I don't need science to tell me if that's a real experience or not. I'm having it. It's real to me, and that's what motivates me to do it. So, so right and. And people will have the same feeling about the, you know, I meet a lot of people, you know, will, they'll see research like the kind Larry Dossie told us about or that Charlie Tart told us about when we interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll say, well, I don't need science to tell me, you know, that telepathy is real. I, I experience that all the time. But, you know, those people uh, are not going to be able to convince others. That's where the data comes in. Right. Well, uh, I enjoyed having him and uh, look yeah. forward to having him back on. And uh, for our listeners out there, uh, spread the word. Let people know about Spirit Matters uh, at spiritmatterstalk.com and we're on iTunes and SoundCloud and uh, we're very accessible. And uh, Phil, I've been looking at, uh, we have, um, you know, uh, analytics to look at who's listening where. And we've had listeners now from... Uh, over 50 countries and several thousand cities worldwide. So, uh, yeah, the more listeners, the more fun it is to get the word out. But I, I think uh, we've got some fascinating people, and we got some great folks coming up, and we're always mm-hmm. uh, happy to get your emails or, uh, uh, you know, uh, thoughts on who we might have, recommendations on who we might have on the show. All right. Till next time. See you then. Right.